Greetings, magnificent souls, to the Lily Bewley podcast, where we have open and honest discussions about ourselves. This is your host, Lily Bewley, and I'm honored to have conversations here with thought leaders, visionaries, healers, and even solo conversations with myself about things I am currently reflecting on. This is a place where we break down, break away, and break through our emotional trauma, allowing ourselves to attract health, build wealth, and live a peaceful life. We are tired of being sick and tired. We are tired, but we are not giving up. We know that there is something magnificent inside of us. And because we are fighting daily, hourly, and by the minute, fighting ourselves, our kids, our spouses, we have to do things differently. We have to break this cycle. We don't have a million chances. We have to be happy now. We have to find a way. So how do we do that? How is that possible? If you look around at what society is telling you, they tell you that what we're doing is impossible. Yet it's happening every single day. And it's happening through the practice and the love that we call awakening the magnificent soul. We are all magnificent souls. And these are our stories of healing. Today in episode 83, I welcome Gay Hendricks to the show to talk about his new book, The Genius Zone, Living in Purpose and the Fears that Hold Us Back. And don't forget to let me know your thoughts about this episode or anything you would like me to cover on future podcasts at epiphanyvault.com. Remember, it is a safe place and I would welcome the discussion. Also, a request, if you are enjoying the show, please rate and share so we can get the word out to more and more souls who want to grow and who want to heal. And now on to the show. My guest today, Gay Hendricks, has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974, Gay served as a professor for counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He's written more than 40 books. The last two he co-authored with his mate for more than 35 years, Dr. Catherine Hendricks. Gay has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and many, many others. And his new book, as I mentioned, The Genius Zone, was published in June of 2021. Here is my episode and the great conversation I had with Gay Hendricks. All right, Gay, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm really excited to have this conversation here on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's really great to meet you finally. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I like to say, I like to think of you as kind of an OG in the personal development space, which <laughs> original gangster. <laughs> oh, and, I thought it meant old guy. <laughs> no, it, well, it could that too, but it also, to me, it means original gangster, which means that you've written so many books. You've shared the stage with amazing uh, thought leaders as well. So I'm really um, honored to have you here. Um, I thought I'd start off with something that really your, your, your current book is called The Genius Zone, and something that really stood out to me was on page three, and I'm going to read the quote if you don't mind, and I'd love to discuss it, but it really hit me very deeply, and the quote is, it's actually a question that you posed, which is, how can I spend the majority of my time doing what I most love to do while making my greatest contribution to the world? Such a deep question, and I would love to kind of just open it up to you right now and, and maybe explain what that means or how that came about and uh, really just drop us into this great healing space that we have right now. 
Yes. Well, first of all, a big shout out to questions because oh human beings are great at asking questions. And the human mind is designed to ask big questions and then to kind of let the data come in to help you figure that out. Mm. And so I caught on to the power of questions quite a long time ago. I think it was, by the way, uh, way back, you know, 60 years ago now, something like that. But uh, I came across the writings of the German poet Rainer Maria Rilke, and he was an incredible poet of the last century. But one of the things he said was that questions were the important thing, not the answers, but to mm. asking the big questions. He said, because if you ask the right big question, the answer to it changes your life. It becomes, your life becomes the answer to the biggest question you have. And that made a huge impact on me because at the time, I thought it was all about the answers, you know, right. trying to find the answers. But he's talking about a receptivity. There's an old saying about, uh, prayer is talking to God. Meditation is listening. <laughs> and mm. the idea that we can be receptive and listen and get wisdom from that direction rather than in pursuit of wisdom. So that was a huge moment for me in discovering the power of questions. So I got in the habit of when I wanted, when I was stuck about something, I would try to find the biggest question I could find. And the question that I sought to answer with what you just read there was, what is the nature of genius? Who are we when we're operating at our genius? Mm. And the answer that ultimately came to me through working with uh, about 25,000 people now over the years is that genius is that spot we're in where we're both doing what we most love to do and we're making our biggest contribution while we're doing it. Mm. So I, I think satisfaction and um, good feeling in life has a lot to do with a kind of alignment. Um, you could call it integrity. It has to do with being aligned with the truth in yourself and deep down inside being aligned with your unique abilities so that you can call on your genius in relationships, in business, in mm -hmm. whatever line of uh, work you're in. Because if we're operating down in there doing what we most love to do and what makes the biggest contribution, to me, that's absolutely life at its best. Yeah. And you just, I don't, uh, it's just what you said is so powerful to me because it, it, it made me feel in alignment because one of my programs, you know, I've, I've gone into this facilitator space of helping people as well. And one of my programs is called align into authenticity. So you just basically just, just affirm that for me. So I appreciate that, but that it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Because if you think of driving down the road in a car, only one of your wheels has to be out of alignment in order mm -hmm. for you to rattle your feelings as you're going down the road with the shimmy. But integrity actually has more dimensions to it than, um, than most of us think. For example, you mentioned the dimension of transparency and authenticity. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, unless we're speaking authentically and listening for what people are authentically saying, we're in a wobble there. One of our wheels is out of alignment, but mm -hmm. that's just one dimension. 
there's a couple of other major elements of uh, integrity too. And one of them is, are you aligned with your life purpose? Do you even mm-hmm. know what your life purpose is, is a question that a lot of people struggle with. And I remember actually the moment I sat down for the first time and sort of figured out my life purpose. And I was in my 30s and I was, um, I was in my car and I was driving and there was some speaker on the, some motivational speaker, I still do not know to this day who it was, on the radio. And he said this one thing that just caught my attention. He said, most human unhappiness is caused by the lack of a worthy goal, mm. a worthwhile goal. And that stuck in my head because when I got home, I didn't get to hear the end of the, the thing because I got home, but I thought, wait a minute, do I even know what my main life goal is? What is the purpose of my life? I'd gone through education. I got my master's in education and my doctorate in counseling psychology. And I had all the stuff in my pocket, all the credentials in my pocket, but what was my real purpose in all of that? And I sat down and actually just thought about it for an hour and kind of meditated on it. And what I came up with was that the chosen purpose of my life is that I expand every day in love, creativity, Mm. and abundance as I inspire other people who are interested to do the same. Mm -hmm. So that became the defining purpose of my life. And I swear to you, I have not had a dull moment since because once I took on that task, life became incredibly fascinating and just filled with more insight than I could handle almost. And so I think that once we open ourselves up to receiving the power of our creative genius. It takes on a life of our own. Mm. And in a way, all we need to do is kind of get out of the way of it and let it express itself through us. Right. Yeah. That is something that a gift that you gave to me when I was reading the big leap is what you just said. Um, I can't remember the exact words, but the, that meditation is something that I incorporate with my, um, my meditative meditative practices. So I appreciate that. That's a beautiful gift. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, talking about, you know, the big leap, um, you mentioned something about an upper limit problem. What is the upper limit problem? Cause I feel like that I've been there and I feel like a lot of people that are listening have been there. So I'd love for you to kind of explain that and see if it hits with anyone out there. The upper limit problem is a form of self-sabotage that you bring onto Mm. yourself based on old programming that doesn't have anything to do with now, but it's always based on something that happened a long time ago. The first time I noticed it was way back, oh gosh, I must have been in my 20s. I was trying to lose some weight and I would do great for three days you know, and I would lose Mm -hmm. two or three pounds and I'd start to feeling better. Oh boy, I'm meeting my goals. Then I would, for some reason, go out and sabotage myself by eating some junk food or just not paying attention for a couple of days, and I'd gain the weight back. And I started thinking, hmm, do I have, am I allergic to success? And do I have some kind of allergy that causes me, when I start feeling good, to sabotage myself? And I started calling that the upper limit problem because I started noticing it in other dimensions of my life too. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't, uh, I, I wasn't married to Katie yet. Uh, by the way, we're having our 40th wedding anniversary this month. Oh, uh, and I uh, just got back from New York having a uh, 40th anniversary celebration. Uh, but this was in my pre-Katie days. And my girlfriend and I, 
we'd get along great for a few days. And then one of us would pick a fight, you know, one of us mm-hmm. would start criticizing the other one or something would happen. And so I started noticing I've got an upper limit problem in my relationships too. I'm allergic to feeling intimate for long periods of time. It's like I could take three days of it and then I would sabotage myself. Well, I started looking into this. And at the time, I was working with a lot of Silicon Valley and high uh, executives in the uh, high tech area because that's where I, I lived near there. And I started noticing that these people were all brilliant. Most of them were men. I would say of the probably 75 different executives at that time I worked with, probably uh, maybe 60 of them were men and the other 15 were women. But it didn't matter whether they were men or women, they all had the same issue. They would have some success at work and Mm -hmm. then they'd go home and have a blow up with their family. Or they'd sometimes do it the other way around. Things would be in a nice groove with the family and then they'd have a big upset at work. But it was the same process of not being able to feel good and Mm -hmm. feel like making a contribution for very long before you messed something up. So Mm -hmm. I started looking into this and the big leap is a lot about what's underneath the upper Mm. limit problem and what we have to do to fix that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to talk about that too, because I, I feel like that the genius zone is for me, it's like an anecdote to what you're talking about, but I do want to share my, I feel like my upper limit problem came when like, I guess, you know, some people call it dark night of the soul. You know, I had a very, um, you know, what you were talking about before about like going to school, getting a job. Like I was in this like place and I, where I had, I had done everything that I was supposed to do. I was in a relationship mm-hmm. that wasn't fulfilling and I was so unhappy. And I remember that, that distinct moment where I was like, so like forlorn and distraught because I've been doing everything that, that the people, mm-hmm. you know, that I was supposed to do. And I do distinctly remember just like being saying to myself, I just want to be happy. And I think for me that that's my translation for my experience. And my listeners know about, you know, I talk about that time a lot, but um, yeah, that's so powerful. And then I guess the next step is like you're saying is how to pull yourself out or how to restructure your life so that you don't keep hitting this upper limit. And it, I'm assuming is the, the genius zone, is that what it, it's about? Is that the anecdote to the upper limit problem? Uh, yes. And, and let me go, uh, let me start with another thing too, which is yeah. uh, when you talk about the upper limit problem, you also have to talk about what's underneath it and drives it. Right. And most of what drives the upper limit problem are different fears that people take on at an early age. Yep. One of the biggest ones for people in our field is what I call the fear of outshining, mm. which is because a lot of folks are, you know, in the healing space are, are very compassionate and everything. They want other people to succeed. They're often don't pay enough attention to their own well-being and let themselves shine as the star of their own show. Um, So if you suffer from the fear of outshining, you kind of hide your light because you don't want to steal it from other people. You want other Mm. people to shine too. And so what I want to say is go ahead and do both, you know, go (laughs) ahead and let your own star shine bright because truly, you know, the fear is, if I let myself shine, I'll steal light from other people. But that's not really the way it works. The more you shine, the more you inspire other people to shine. People don't go, you know, when uh, when they see 
a famous person doing something good, they say, wow, I'd like to sing like that. They don't go into despair and say, oh, I can never sing like that. So I'm not even going to listen to music anymore. Mm. You know, it's there to inspire us. People who are shining are there to inspire us. So we need to let ourselves be inspired. Probably the biggest fear, though, is a fear that many people share that there's something fundamentally unworthy about them that doesn't deserve success or love or good times in life. They feel fundamentally flawed in Mm -hmm. some way. And I'm also here to tell you, I've worked with 25,000 people in 170 different countries, I think now, and there are no fundamentally flawed human Mm -mm. beings. We all, you know, learn different things, but nobody comes in with a negative agenda Mm -hmm. and nobody comes in with the aim of, well, I think I'm going to spend my time here suffering, not feeling loved, not being successful and not having a good time. It's just stuff that gets laid onto us. You know, somebody says you shouldn't be a star. Somebody says you're the wrong color. Somebody says you're not smart enough, but (laughs) I can provide examples of all sorts of different things, you know? I've actually worked with billionaire business people who were absolutely clueless about relationships. Yep. So just because you're a genius in one area, you know, I've had people in this office, couples who are worth $400 million arguing because the wife spent too much money on organic peanut butter, didn't buy the El Cheapo brand of peanut mm-hmm. butter. And I point out to the guy, say, hey, look, you could buy a jar of peanut butter for everybody on earth and still have change left over. You Mm -hmm. don't need to hassle your wife for buying the $7 brand rather than the $4 brand. But, you know, a lot of us get stuck behind our programming and can't see around it. And that's the value of things like the Big Leap is because you get underneath your upper limit problem and find out what it's really about so that you can transform it on the spot. Yes. And you can transform it. Like you're saying, it's, um, we do start to make meaning of those things. Like, like what you're saying, like, I'm, I'm not good enough, or I shouldn't outshine, or I'm not worthy, worthy of this or what have you. And it's absolutely possible, which I love. It's great. Yeah, Yeah. There are a couple of other fears too, that are important. One is a fear of burden. A lot of people are afraid of creating more success in their life because they're already overworked. Mm -hmm. And they feel like if they had more success, they just have more burden, more hassles, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between working hard and working smart. You know, you can work in such a way that it eats up your energy. But what I'm suggesting is putting more attention on doing what you most love to do, Mm -hmm. because I know that has a kind of a constant self-renewal built right into it. Yeah. And is that the genius zone that you're talking about? The genius zone. Yes. The genius zone is when you're in that sweet spot of doing what you most love to do Mm -hmm. and doing something that makes a contribution to the world around Mm -hmm. you. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors, uh, Abraham Maslow says, it doesn't matter if you're making, if you're composing a genius symphony or making a genius soup, it's all the same because it's, it calls on a part of you that we need to be calling on all the time, which is that deep connection with spirit, Mm. that deep connection with the earth, that deep connection with the cosmos and other people that really makes life joyful. I personally, I mean, 
I think a meaningful life is okay, but I want a joyful life. You know, I yes. want to have a good time while I'm here and I want to inspire <laughs> yes. people to have a good time. You know, like the Leonard Cohen song says, a lot of people are walking around with their uh, hands in their pockets, you know, kind of staring at the ground. Well, I want to see people lift up those heads and say, hey, look, I'm here. Let's make the best of it. Let me call on my unique abilities mm -hmm. to make a bigger difference in the world. Mm. Yeah. And I'd love to point out what you just said, which is unique abilities. I mm. think a lot of people and this, you know, sometimes I like get intuitive hits of what my audience may be thinking. And I feel sometimes, um, you know, in this space of personal development, it's like a, a us and them type of mentality, like, oh, that's for gay or that's for Lily. And it's not for me. Um, and I love it that what you're, at least what I'm hearing uh, you're, you suggesting is for people to find what their unique experience is. And for me, that's like a feeling of like time. I feel like my genius zone is time. Just there's no time. It's like, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm in this state of flow. I'm in this state of enjoyment in this state of pleasure. And that has grown as I've healed. You know, I can't really always as a kid, probably I was there as well, which is what you're talking about, that programming type of thing. Um, but it has taken time for me to heal those fears that you're talking about. And then, and then kind of opening up to that possibility of being in my genius. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think we all have to approach our genius, you know, from a direction, one direction or the other. When it bo what it boils down to, though, is making a commitment. Hmm. See, I think commitment is one of the undiscovered superpowers that human beings really have. When you make a sincere, heartfelt commitment to something, it produces powerful change right on the spot. And when I make when I say heartfelt commitment, I always tell my students that the most important journey they'll ever make is 12 inches from their head down to their heart. Because mm. when you can connect up the power of your mind with the incredible joy of your heart, those two things working in harmony are unstoppable. Mm. If you can figure out what you love to do that lights your heart up and also what your head knows makes a contribution to other people. That really, to me, is living at its very best. And to do that, you require quite a bit of work oftentimes to kind of flesh out what your genius is. Mm -hmm. uh, something you might enjoy uh, knowing about, Lily, is uh, one of the things we do here is sometimes corporations will send us their top person for a day of fine tuning, big leap fine tuning. And, uh, and they, they pay $25,000 for the, the day. And the first thing they do, some people come out, it only takes 10 minutes, but some people come out after that 10 minutes and say, that was the best thing I ever did in my life. I got my money's worth and it's only 10 after nine in the morning. And so here's what it is. I'll give you a free $25,000 gift today. Go in a room by yourself for 10 minutes and do nothing but the following process. And here's, here's the $25,000 secret. Ask yourself a question out loud. And the question goes like this. Hmm, what do I most love to do? Hmm. And then we ask them to say it out loud and then take three easy breaths. 
So they say the question and then three easy breaths that take about 10 seconds each. So they say the question and then let about a 30 second gap go by while they're just breathing. Then they ask the question again, hmm, what do I most love to do? Then back to the breathing. Mm. After 10 minutes of doing that, most people come out looking like they've been reborn <laughs> because they've never done anything like that in their entire life. Mm -mm. The reason it's so powerful is it, and, and it's a simplicity because all you're doing is asking what we call a wonder question, a genuine wonder question, something you really like to know the answer to. Hmm, what do I most love to do? We add other wonder questions later, like, hmm, what do I do that makes time disappear? That when I'm doing it, time disappears. You mentioned that a few minutes ago, that you get into that timeless space. Well, that's one of the signs you're in the zone of genius. And so another question we have is, hmm, what do I do that produces the greatest value per time spent. In other mm. words, like one time, the best example from my own life is I came up with a business idea in 2003 and it popped into my mind after meditation one day. I'm a long time meditator. I've, I've uh, been meditating for about 50 years every day. Haven't missed a day in 50 years and uh, actually 51 years to be precise about it. Wow. And so, um, it's a sacred time for me. I meditate every morning for half an hour or so and every evening for half an hour or so. And so one day after morning meditation, it was about 5 a.m. And I had an idea, a 10 second idea. And I was later able to have a 10 minute conversation that put the business in motion. Later on, I sold the business for a little over $10 million three mm. years later. So 10 seconds to 10 million. Here's what happened. My buddy, uh, Stephen Simon, uh, who's a movie producer, he's produced lots of movies that you've probably seen like uh, commercial movies like uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm, and that's my favorite movie. And they, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's my buddy, Stephen. And um, he, uh, he introduced Keanu Reeves to the world. That's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, so... Um, and also, uh, the, uh, forget the other guy's name um, that was in Bill and Ted, uh, but uh, he also does spiritual movies like What Dreams May Come and Somewhere in Time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've known him for many years. And so we bumped into each other at a wedding, actually. And I kind of reconnected with him. So when I had this experience after meditation, I called him to kind of check out the validity of the idea. And here was the idea. I said, Stephen, you and I have proposed to Hollywood studios that they make more spiritual movies because we had the mm -hmm. rights to conversations with God and we had the rights to a couple of other very juicy spiritual kinds of books. And we, we kept getting kicked out. Nobody said, nobody wants to watch those kind of spiritual. Nah. So the idea that I came up with after meditation was, hey, instead of trying to sell our ideas to Hollywood, let's go directly to the people and create a subscription service. We'll mm. go to film festivals. We find the great movies that Hollywood isn't touching because there's a ton of them out there, great movies that Hollywood doesn't think are important or valuable. 
and we'll rent those movies for a month and send them out on DVDs and we'll expose a lot of great filmmakers to the world and we'll also bring great movies to people without even having to go to a movie theater and buy $15 junk, uh, uh, tubs of popcorn. And so we called it the spiritual cinema circle. Mm. And I had a 10 minute conversation with Stephen. We kind of figured out how the business would work. Then it took us six months to put all the places together. Mm -hmm. And, but once we had it going, it took off like a rocket and continued to go uh, for, you know, more than 15 years until finally uh, Netflix and Amazon kind of caught up with us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> then people could point a remote and have 5,000 different movies if they wanted. So that mm -hmm. kind of uh, wound down the spiritual cinema circle. But anyway, it was a great viable business. And the, the reason I'm, I'm mentioning it is because it doesn't take long to create a genius idea. And it doesn't even take very long to sell a genius idea. Because when I called Stephen, he said, wow, that is the greatest idea I've ever heard of. Let's do it together. And I said, yeah. And so within a day, we had a little business put together. We had another person on the staff and there we went. So the point I want to make though, is that little bits of flashes of things often contain huge, huge, huge mm -hmm. ideas. Somebody mm -hmm. originally had to think up the concept of money, for example. Some genius a long time ago said, wow, we could have seashells and have them be the same value as a coconut and we wouldn't have to lug around coconuts. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was a great idea. That was, that was a big leap. And then you could string them around your neck, you know, and you could let people see how rich you were. So mm. little ideas sometimes have huge, huge, huge consequences. Like the mm -hmm. idea that's in the Gospel of Thomas, one of the uh, apocryphal gospels that didn't make it into the official Bible, but it has a quote in it that I draw on all the time. It says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. But if you mm -hmm. don't bring forth what is within you, what is within you can destroy you. And I mean, isn't that true? You know, that if you bring wow. forth your genius, if you let yourself bring it out into the world and go through all the fear of rejection and everything like that, you know, like my buddy, Jack yeah. Canfield, who wrote all those chicken soup books, you know, they took that thing around to dozens of different publishers. They got shot down everywhere. And uh, same thing with, uh, I saw Rob Reiner the other day at, at uh, lunch and, uh, you know, he made that great movie, Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, one of the funniest movies ever. And those guys literally carried the film cans around Hollywood trying to sell that movie and kept getting thrown out of one studio after the other. Mm -hmm. Persistence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it brings for geniuses to have. Yeah. And, you know, it's I talk about this a lot and I think about this a lot, too, is because I, I encounter people in the healing space, too. And I just started my business about a year and a half ago um, um, with my coaching business and growing that. But what I've, um, you know, it's this like kind of culture of, you know, quick fix or instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And it brings to mind something that you mentioned in your book and you're talking about commitment, um, at least not explicitly, but that's what I'm hearing implicitly. And the, the part that you're talking about also about recommitting, I thought was very, it was very eye-opening to me um, 
because there have been times in the past, whether it be with relationship or business or even, you know, um, self-talk where, you know, if I reached a, a pinnacle or an upper limit problem or an obstacle or failure, what have you is, um, you know, I made meaning about that, about myself, like, oh, maybe I'm just not meant for a good relationship, or maybe, um, you know, there aren't many conscious men out there, or, you know, just this, and I feel like that's a natural thing. It's something I feel like that protects us, but you're, what you talked about in your book about recommitting was really impactful for me. I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about that right now? Yes. Well, committing is incredibly important. The moment you say, I commit Mm -hmm. to expanding my genius every day. But recommitment is just as important because you're always going to slip off. You're always going to slip out of the groove and need to get back. So uh, two examples of that. When my daughter was little, um, she wanted to take horse riding lessons. And I'm, just to be nakedly honest about I hate being around horses. I don't like the way they (laughs) smell. They scare me. But uh, anyway, so that was like the last thing I wanted to do. But she wanted to take hoarding. So I even went for a riding lesson with her and where I rode on a horse too, which promptly threw me off. But that's another story. But anyway, Amanda loved (laughs) horses. And so the very first day I took her to her horse riding lesson, the woman who is the trainer got her up on the horse and they started walking around and then they kind of got into a little bit of a trot and Amanda promptly fell off the horse. And the woman was so good at this. She just almost like this one slick move, just picked Amanda up and put her back on the horse and they were going Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she wouldn't have done that if she'd been hurt or something like that, but she'd Mm -hmm. been through (laughs) thousands of kids falling off horses and she knew how to handle it. I was over on the sidelines behind the fence and I just about jumped over the fence, you know, when my little tiny girl fell off this giant uh, horse. But after two or three laps around, she fell off a couple of other times and got right back on. And so by the end of the lesson, she was cranking along at a very good pace, you know, looking like she was on top of that thing and with a big smile on her face. Well, the same principle applies, like I just uh, flew to New York and back uh, last week, I gave my first live speech that I'd given in a long time. And so uh, I had the delicious experience of flying to New York and talking to 400 people that had all been Mm. given a copy of the big leap. So they knew what I was talking about. Oh, that's great. uh, And my wife and I were also uh, seeing some plays and museums for our 40th wedding anniversary. So uh, to make a long story short, I, I recently went through two airplane trips. If you've ever been on an airplane, you get to the destination through a process of recommitment because mm-hmm. the automatic pilot on an airplane works exactly through the principle of recommitment. The pilot sets it toward a destination, but then because of wind currents and everything else up in the sky, mm. it's always drifting off course. So it has this program in it that says, okay, we're drifting a little to the right, let's correct to the left. And okay, we're drifting a little too much to the left, correct to the right. We're going up a little bit, correct down. So it's always recommitting and getting back on the track. In other words, it gets from New York to Los Angeles by being wrong 99% of the time. Because That's it's so good. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> 
And so if any of you get upset when you're wrong, <laughs> just do like Amanda did, get back up on the horse and go, because ultimately it's recommitment that gets you there because nobody gets every, anywhere in a straight line. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. And it sounds like, like, we, you know, we have to know what you were talking about before. I feel like this is kind of tying together, which is know the destination, which is that process, like the the hmm process. I did that out loud when I was reading your book and I love just being curious with myself like that. It, I feel like it's just so self-honoring and self-trusting and, um, you know, it's, it's like what you're talking about instead of being like, so others focused and outside of myself, it just, that process really is just really gorgeous. But I feel like this is all tying together when, um, you can ask your, your, yourself that question and then you can find the destination, which is like your purpose or how do you contribute to the world and then like committing and then recommitting. Um, is that kind of, am I reading that right? Is that kind of what, where we're going as far as the, the, this, I guess the simplest and easiest way to, to reach the, the genius zone? Yes. Keep yourself focused on being in that sweet spot that I'm talking about. Focus gotcha. on spending more time doing what you most love to do. Mm. Like if you have a nine to five job that you're maybe bored with and you don't, you can't change it right now because of circumstances, find some little element of it that you yes. most love to do and yes. just start doing more and more of that. Yes. I have people do that all the time. Yes. Ultimately, I believe human beings are ultimately happy and most productive when they're living in that sweet spot of doing what they most love to do. I started out when I when I first started thinking about these ideas way back four decades ago, I realized I was only spending about 10% of my own time in my mm -hmm. genius zone. And mm, boy, you know, that really, when I really figured that out, hour by hour, that kind of shocked me because I thought, okay, I've got this great idea. How come I'm not practicing it more? So I started focusing on increasing by an hour or so a day the time I spent doing what I most love to do. And I set the goal of spending all my time in my genius zone by the end of the century, by 1999, the uh, last century. And it took me better part of 20 years but I got there. So for the yeah. last 20 years, I've spent basically all my time either in my genius zone or flying around or driving mm -hmm. around from place to place. But all day long, basically, I do some version of what I'm doing right now. Right. And sometimes I do it by writing a movie script or sometimes it's a mm -hmm. book or sometimes it's a talk like this or a television show or something. But to me, it's all an expression of my central mantra which is that i expand and mm. love creativity and abundance every day as i inspire other people to do the same and it doesn't matter to me you know i've done it in front of 10 million people on oprah and i've done it in front of 15 people in a bookstore on a snowy afternoon when mm -hmm. i was signing books and nobody showed up and but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me because it's all the same yeah absolutely and that's so inspiring um, so just about five minutes left and i wanted to just touch on that the creativity piece um, which you talk a lot about in, in the genius zone and the distinction for me, which is true creativity versus ordinary creativity. I was wondering if you kind of lay that out a little bit and see if we can help any of the listeners out there that maybe are stuck 
been saying, like for me for a while, it's like, I'm not creative, but I am creative in my own way, right? In my own unique way. Well, I've been around the world 30 sometimes now, and I can tell you that I haven't met one of those uncreative people yet. <laughs> I think that all of us, if we start asking ourselves the right question, have immense creativity that we haven't ever tapped, but we just haven't asked the right questions. Mm. You know, Einstein, um, you can't see over here, but I, I have an autographed picture of Albert Einstein on the wall. And the reason I do is because he exemplifies wonder to me, curiosity and wonder. Mm. He, uh, if you read his notebooks, he wondered about a particular problem in physics every day for 27 years. He spent time every day wondering about this particular problem. Now, most people would have given up after a year or two and said, right. with it, you know, but he figured that thing out after 27 years of wondering about it. To me, that's an exemplary human being. That's a person mm -hmm. who deserves, you know, to, to call themselves a genius because that inspired me to keep asking the big questions of life. Mm -hmm. So creativity Ordinary creativity is when you're using your creativity to meet somebody else's goals. You know, like I, I used my creativity early in my life in lots of ways. I used mm -hmm. to be on the radio for three years uh, when I was working my way through college. I was on the radio every day and Sundays and, uh, and also wrote advertising copies. So I was using my genius to sell Ford Mustangs and using my genius to sell pimple cream. And it didn't matter to me because it was all part of just being able to live by my wits is the way I called mm -hmm. it. Then. I wanted to, uh, at all costs, I wanted to avoid having anything that looked like a real job in my life. So I managed to <laughs> find myself from radio to being a uh, running a halfway house for delinquent boys, which led me into counseling psychology, which led me into being a professor. And then all these other things I started doing after that. I always say, Genius is what has the capacity to surprise you. Like when I was running a halfway house for juvenile delinquents, it never occurred to me that I might someday write a movie script or um, produce a movie like Stephen mm -hmm. and I ultimately produced the movie uh, Conversations with God. That mm -hmm. never occurred to me. It just, you just move in your genius from one little thing to the other. And if you will start doing things each day that has the capacity to surprise you, that's very wonderful living because then mm. you're living in a state of continuous self-renewal. Mm. You know, Eric Erickson, the great developmental psychologist, said something really profound. He said that, especially at midlife, when you're up around 40 or 50, every breath you take is a choice between creativity or stagnation, creativity, or stagnation. So which are you going to choose on a daily, mm. minute by minute, second by second basis? Are you going to choose creativity or going through the motions the same old way? I think life has infinite number of opportunities. Like in the genius zone, I show how you get opportunities all day long, what I call genius moments, where you can just dive straight into your genius. We just need to know how to recognize those. So you need yes. to sit down. Um, somebody sent me a picture the other day of them reading the new book in a bikini on the beach. And I said, 
great, read it on the beach, but then take it home and practice it for an hour afterwards. You know, yes. it's a book you gotta, because it's basically a, like a session with me. It's taken from transcripts of sessions with me. Mm. And so it's like sitting down with me for an hour. So I highly recommend that you close the yes. door, go in a room by yourself and sit down with a book and just work it for an hour. Yes, so valuable, so valuable. So yeah, you have uh, the Genius Zone. And when did that came out? Pretty recently. Mm, just came out works. a couple of months ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah came wonderful. Out, came out in the middle of the summer, just in time for the beach. Yeah, good, wonderful. So go get that book, y'all. Um, thank you so much for your time, Gay. I mean, it is like you spoke directly to my heart so many times. And I, I really just, I mean, I'm honored really to host this space uh, with you. So thank you. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. You're obviously living in your genius zone. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, so where can the listeners find you? I know um, I, I follow your Instagram page. Where where do you like to interact with um, with your audience? Well, the big place we interact with them is uh, Hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And we got, you know, a big Thing on Facebook. We got half a million people on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. My Instagram account is just for kind of like stuff I do around the house. Uh, so it, it's kind of small and intimate, although I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's <laughs> the only one of those I actually do myself. So I'm actually taking those pictures myself. And, uh, so it's mostly yes. my cats and my wife and things I do around my, me and my uh, riding my uh, mountain bike around the community here. Um, but yeah, go to Hendrix.com. And we also have a lot of free resources at our mm -hmm. nonprofit foundation, which is called the Foundation for Conscious Living. So mm -hmm. go there. We got tons of videos for free, and uh, uh, yeah, you can find us just about anywhere. Stand around on a street corner, and uh, yes. you'll run into something. Yes. Well, the vibes are good. I'm feeling the vibes in Phoenix, so I appreciate you. And um, I'll link all of that up in the show notes to make it easier for everyone to find you. And again, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Lily. My pleasure. My pleasure.